0: Father, we bow in the presence of the King of the universe. Let all the earth keep silence. Our thoughts are not yours. Our ways different than your ways. We don't understand, we don't comprehend, and yet we argue and complain. But Lord, help us to see your truth Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your holy word. And in seeing, believe, embrace, and experience. Lord, to the soul that has come into this worship place today, and maybe is a stranger to all of this, someone who's never opened their heart to Jesus, I pray that you will speak especially to them. And Lord, to those who say they know Christ, and many do, help those, help all of us to learn what it is to be committed to Christ and to walk with him every day. Lord, we pray that in our worship you will be glorified and we will be edified And those who don't know Christ will be brought to saving faith. This is our hope and our expectation. We pray in your name and all God's people said, amen. Let's retrace our steps to our last study in the book of Hebrews way back in November. And that takes us to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. As Pastor Doug read from that section a moment ago, I'm starting with verse 35. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. And then on the screen, we have the quotation that the author of Hebrews draws from the book of Habakkuk, for in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith, but I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. In the last verse of the chapter, but we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the ones who believe to the saving of the soul. As we continue our study in the book of Hebrews, it's important for us to understand something about this quotation from the book of Habakkuk, so central that the author had to insert it in his sermon. Uh, In Habakkuk's day, when he was writing his prophecy, he experienced some very difficult times. They were dark days in Hebrew history. The the national faith was uh, regressing. The situation was appalling. The international scene was threatening. And the enemies of God were encroaching and coming closer and closer. And Habakkuk knew that things could not be much worse. So he cried out to God in complaint. He complained to God about the violence among his own people. About the pride that was so evident. And the sin that went unchecked. But the biggest problem Habakkuk had was simply this. God seemed to be unconcerned. He seemed to be nowhere. He seemed to be doing nothing. But in chapter 1, Habakkuk hears an answer from God, and God says, no, I am at work. I am at hard, hard at work, behind the scenes. And if I told you what I was doing, I'd have to kill you. No, he didn't say that. He said, if I tell you, you won't understand. And then he goes on to tell him. He said, Habakkuk, this is my plan that I'm working on. I'm going to bring down the cruel Chaldeans, the most wicked nation in the world, and they're going to judge you, my people, and deal with the violence in the land and the iniquity in the land and the pride in the land by taking you into captivity. How does that sound? (laughs) Habakkuk says, Lord, this is worse than the other problem. Your indifference is one thing, but how can you, a holy God, Use a wicked instrument to chasten people more righteous than they are. And I find it ironic that he spent so much time complaining about the sin of his people until the Chaldeans were coming down, and now, in comparison, we're pretty righteous people. How could you use the wicked to judge the righteous? And so, in this midst of confusion, he says something that is brilliant. In that moment of perplexity, Habakkuk makes the greatest decision of his life. It's the greatest decision any human being can make, and it's simply this. I'm going to shut my mouth and listen to what God has to say. Isn't that good? And so we come to chapter two of Habakkuk, and the Bible tells us, and let me read just some of that To you, verse 1 I will stand on my watchtower and station myself on the walls. I will look to see what God will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied Write down the revelation, that is what I'm about to tell you, so that it will be made plain. Write it on tablets, so that a herald might run with the message and share it with others. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, and here's where the writer of Hebrews picks up on it, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up, and his desires are not upright. But the righteous person will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. You know, this sounds a whole lot like our own day in which we're complaining to God, Lord, things are bad. There's violence. There's wickedness. There's unbridled pride. Do something. Why aren't you doing something? Where are you? And God says, oh, I'm working behind the scenes. And this is my plan. But you're not going to believe it. I'm using this violence and even wicked people to correct you. To help you to grow and repent and change. And we say, God, we're your people. I mean, we're not perfect, but we're better than those people. Which is always an interesting comparison like the Pharisee and the publican praying. And the Pharisee says, I'm glad I'm not like this guy. We do the same thing, and God says, I'm going to use these things to grow you and to change you and to force you to trust me. So it's time for you to be still and know that I am God. It's time for you to listen to what I have to say. I'm using the very people that trouble you and trouble you the circumstances that confound you and the pandemic that sets fear into your heart. I'm using all of these things to accomplish my purpose and glory. So look at Habakkuk 2. We have this verse on the screen. Verse 4. And in this verse, Habakkuk does an amazing thing because he boils down all of life into two philosophies. The first philosophy, verse four, the enemy is puffed up and his desires are not upright. Puffed up, but not righteous. In fact, if you go through the rest of the chapter, you'll have a good definition of this first philosophy that is self-centered and self-sufficient. In verse 5, it says that he is arrogant, never at rest. Also in verse 5, as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. Verse 8, this philosophy will be plundered. Verse 10, you will forfeit your own life. It will end in destruction. Verse 16, and your glory will ultimately be turned into disgrace and shame. The first philosophy is the selfish human being who says, I'm going to do what I want to do and I don't care what God thinks about it. I will strut my rebellion in the face of the Almighty and I am puffed up. Someone said this is a lot like an illustration of blowing up a balloon. You know, the balloon is rather small, but when you put hot air in it, it gets larger. And the pride of man grows with more hot air that's blown into his own devices and his own understanding until ultimately it pops and is dissolved and there's nothing left. But there is a second philosophy of life also in verse 4, simply stated, the righteous shall live By faith. Whereas the puffed up will end and be destroyed, the righteous will continue. This thing called life. It is ongoing. It doesn't end. This thing called life speaks of vitality, fulfillment, and even joy. The just shall live by faith. Faith is life. And there's a sense in which we can say there is no life apart from faith. Oh, you have human existence, but that's not really life. G. Campbell Morgan said the central issue of life is covered in one of the most simple sentences in all the Bible. And in some sense, this is the mightiest sentence in the book of God. Habakkuk 2.4, the just shall live by faith. Now, it is so vital that it's repeated three times in the New Testament. Twice by the Apostle Paul, once in the book of Romans and in the book of Galatians. And then by our author, uh, we don't know who that author is, in the book of Hebrews. As he is encouraging some Jewish believers not to give up on faith, but to be patient and endure Because soon the one who promised is coming, and the just shall live by faith. But it's interesting, there is no definition of faith in Habakkuk 2. There's just the declaration of the principle, the vitality of faith. We have to get into Hebrews 11 to find a definition. And so we go from Hebrews 10 quite easily to Hebrews 11. With that word now. Now, faith. And here's the definition. And perhaps some have claimed the only true definition of faith in all of the Bible. There are other explanations of it and illustrations of it, but here's a true definition faith is being confident of what we hope for. Now, that has a future future aspect to it what we hope for faith is also being certain of what we do not see so faith is so vital for life but faith operates best in the world of the hope for and in the world of the not seen I came across a wonderful devotional by John Stott, one of my favorite authors, who went home to be with the Lord in 2011, but has written uh, quite a few books that I find amazing, and I would encourage you uh, to read some of his great biblical writings. But he says something here in in Hebrews 11 that is very good, and I want to read it to you to confuse you. There are two major spheres of uncertainty for all of us human beings. The first is the unknown future, and the second is the unseen present. For we find our security in the present, not in the future, and in what we can see, not in the unseen. As for the future, even the forecasts of the meteorologists are often unreliable. I would say most often unreliable. As for the unseen, our scientific upbringing has schooled us to be skeptical of everything that is not amenable to our empirical knowledge. In other words, if we can't demonstrate it and if it's not repeatable, then we need to be skeptical of it. So it comes as quite a shock to us that these two spheres of human uncertainty, the future and the unseen, are precisely those in which faith specializes. And even flourishes. It is the function of faith to apprehend both the unseen present and the unrealized future. Simply put, faith is the assurance that the future we anticipate will take place and that the present that we cannot see is actually real. That's a wonderful description of Hebrews 11. And so let's keep that in mind as we look at this faith that is confident of what is hoped for and is certain of what we cannot see. George Campbell Morgan said, we've all heard the saying, and we use it all the time today, seeing is believing. Now, Morgan wrote that back in 1943, and he said, you've heard the old saying. So this has been around a long time. Seeing is believing. But he says that's not true. Believing is being sure without seeing. That's what faith says. There is a confidence and conviction that grows from faith. And faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is a leap upon the God who is. Faith recognizes God even though we can't see him. If you look down at verse six, it talks about without faith, it's impossible to please God for the one who comes to God must believe that he, what? That he is, that he exists. That's a good place to start. <laughs> faith begins with the reality of God, but you cannot see him. John chapter one, no, God, no man has seen God at any time. And if you go down later in chapter 11, I think it's verse 27, it says, Moses endured all the trials he faced by seeing the God who is invisible. He saw what cannot be seen. And that's our problem today. You and I live on what we can see. And yet the realities, the true realities of life are found in the things that cannot be seen. Everything we see will perish. It's the unseen things that are eternal. Like your soul. Like God. And so we've got to learn to live in the present with the confidence that what we cannot see is there and real. Remember the story in the Old Testament uh, about Elijah and his servant? This is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. And... The servant of Elisha woke up one morning, and there were the Aramaeans coming down, a strong army. The scripture says they had horses and chariots, and they surrounded the city. And the servant said to his lord, Elisha, oh no, what are we going to do? And Elisha answered back, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, if you put your place in that story at that moment, I'm sure with a servant you would have said something like, What are you talking about? It's just you and me. They've got horses and chariots and the whole city is surrounded. We don't have any hope. But then Elisha prayed this prayer Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And what happened next? The Lord opened the servant's eyes. And he looked and he saw that the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire were surrounding Elisha. Is that real? Absolutely is. And you and I don't see God present. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But we say, God, where are you? I'm left all alone. Impossible because he said he wouldn't leave you. You need to pray that your eyes will be open so you can see what cannot be seen because that's where faith is really good. And the definition of faith is that we come to a conviction based on what the word of God says. And this is our only anchor. This is our only foundation. Based on what God says, about himself and his promises, we believe, even though we cannot see. Charles Wesley put this in a poem, The Story of Second Kings 6. Lo to faith's enlightened sight, all the mountains flamed with light, hell is nigh, but God is nigher, circling us with hosts of fire. How convinced is your faith? Sometimes our faith is shaky. Sometimes we call something faith that isn't. It's an imposter. So many people in our day are interested about spiritual things, and they'll say something like this, as long as you have faith, you're okay. But that's not true. Faith is only as good as its object. In this world, many people are reaching out to the metaphysical saying, well, if I'm just kind of spiritual connected, I I have some sense, I meditate occasionally, I, I have faith in whatever, I'm okay. No, no, that's an imposter. All faith must be measured by this biblical definition of Hebrews 11. It's faith based on the God who is, who tells us what's real. And that issues forth in confidence, and the confidence ends up in activity, which is the rest of chapter 11. It was F.F. F. Bruce who said, physical sight produces conviction or evidence of visible things, but faith is the organ which enables people to see the invisible things. Now faith is not only confident, that's verse 1, faith is commendable, and that is verse 2. Faith is the very thing that the ancients were commended for, they were praised or lauded, and that's what the rest of Hebrews 11 is all about, starting with Abel and Enoch and dealing with Noah and Abraham and Joseph, and 15 people are mentioned, if I have the count right, and then others that we cannot count when he talks about some, and he talks about the women, and he talks about others. It's a large army of people who are included in this hall of faith. And some of them were surprised that they got in. I mean, you read the names and you say, how in the world did that guy get in? How was he listed with all the others? But they're commended. In fact, if you look at verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, even though they didn't receive all that was promised to them. See, that's another aspect about faith. You believe, even though you not have yet received everything promised. You're hoping. And faith is confident that that hope will be honored. Evidence, the the reality of God, the truth of scripture, that substance, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, that ends up in conviction, and conviction leads us to productivity. And that's what God, Commands. If it's impossible to please God without faith, as it says in verse 6, then it is possible to please God with faith. Based on his grace, but God is pleased when his people live by faith. And then you have in verse 3 faith also brings sight. I wanted to say comprehension because then I could have three C's, confident, commended, comprehension. But I felt that was stretching it. So I'm telling you this. I don't know why, but sight is better. Faith understands. Faith sees. And that's verse three. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed by God's command, right? No one was there. The only account of creation is Genesis 1, Genesis 1 and 2. Every other account is devised by man and edited and changed as time goes on. But God was there, and he tells us what happened. And faith is convinced of what it cannot see, so we understand that we are creatures of God, made in his image, male and female, For the glorious purpose that he has ordained. And we believe that God has the power to command. And things come into his existence. Sure God uses process. He doesn't have to. But he does. And notice the last part of this verse. So what is seen. Was not made. From what is unseen or that that which is seen was not made from that which is unseen so god brings things into existence that weren't into existence and now we see them and faith embraces that with all of its heart now the unbeliever the critic skeptic will do everything that is in their power to destroy faith one journalist who is also big in satire, was famous in the early part of the 20th century, H.L. Mencken, said faith may be defined briefly as an illogical belief in the occurrence of the improbable. Faith is a crutch. Faith is non-existent. Faith is what weak people go to when they don't have the intelligence to understand things as they are. And the Bible flips it around and says, no, it's just the exact opposite. The arrogant think they understand things, but by a balloon, they like a balloon, they will pop and be destroyed. But the just shall live by faith. By the way, live means getting into the gate and continuing on the road. Faith brings you to Christ and you enter the straight and narrow gate. And faith keeps you on the road because we walk by faith and not by sight. That's how powerful and glorious it is. And in the end, it's the believer, humble as they may be, who grasp the true meaning of life that God is And God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And without faith, you'll never know God. And without faith, you'll never please God. So we better make sure that we are trusting in him and we are following him. Faith is not that leap in the dark. It's reasonable. It's the idea that we know the one we're trusting in. And no one is more reasonable than God. Psalm 910 says, Those who know you will put their trust in you. We know God. And we trust him because of it. There's a story told years ago of a little boy who was caught in a house fire and his dad was outside the boy was on the second floor and somehow the two could not connect uh, before and so the father goes to the window the house is filled with smoke and in flames he yells for the little boy who's maybe five years old to jump the little boy at the window can see nothing but flames and smoke and cannot see his father Jump and I will catch you, the father says. But the little boy says, I cannot see you. But the father says, I can see you. And so he jumps into the arms of love and is saved. You and I have the voice of God saying to us, leap, not in the dark, leap into me. Trust me. And when you do, I will catch you. And it's the only way you can be saved from the fire. It's the only way that your life can be redeemed. Jump! And faith says, God is there. God, I hear him. And I will trust him. That's where life begins. And then faith is the exciting journey that life takes. And we'll see more of that as we go through Hebrews chapter 11. Without faith, you cannot please God. Let's pray. Lord, we read in your word that everyone who is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Teach us to live by faith and not by sight cause us, Lord, to trust you, even where we cannot trace you, even where, even where our sight seems to be so poor. Through the misery of our own defeats and through the mystery of everything that surrounds us, faith reaches through and grabs hold of God and trusts him. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will make in this house of worship today, strong people of faith, some who have never come to faith, may they, may they say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need to be saved and believe that the one who died on the cross, the Lord Jesus, died for them and believe that in turning from their sin and trusting him, you will save them and believe that a simple, honest prayer from the heart results in the transformation, the redemption, the salvation of a soul. And so they come in faith. And for those who know you, Lord, teach us that faith is the most important, vital principle of everyday life, because the just shall live by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.